The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hello and welcome to Crying in Public. Today we are crying for a very different reason. While we are normally silly and lighthearted, we also understand that it's important and our responsibility to have these tough and difficult conversations as well. In light of what is going on in the country this week concerning the murders of unarmed black men and women, and the protests around racial injustice and police brutality. We wanted to have an open conversation about our feelings, emotions, concerns, and questions to create meaningful and purposeful dialogue that can help us understand each other's pain, frustration, and confusion. We are a very diverse group, not only in terms of race and ethnicity, but in the way we think, where we're from, the way we grew up, and the way we understand race and privilege. So it is important that we have a safe space to educate one another on what is happening and find ways that we as individuals can create change. Um, The purpose of having conversations like this is to not only be educated, but just as importantly to educate each other and to have a very listening ear because each person has their own individual opinions and obviously this episode is each of our individual opinions however we feel that it is just as important to speak out 
um, as it is to listen. So that is definitely the purpose of this episode today. And we hope what you take away from this today is opening up your own viewpoints, learning new perspectives, thinking about things outside of your comfort zone that you haven't before, but at the same time, recognizing what you can do to make that change. And also while the protests are going on, there's also been a lot of conversation and dialogue and issues within NYU community recently concerning racial injustice, but also how people within our community respond to racism and how we as an institution can create a conversation and allow for there to be understanding, learning, teaching, and just allowing everyone to understand where we are all coming from. So the first thing we're going to discuss is the idea of the model minority and how as people of color, we can often be pitted against one another in order to receive some amount of privilege and how we think that we should create a mindset of the model majority where people should be responsible for educating themselves on issues of race and inequality because it's not the job of your ethnic friends to educate their friends and their family on racial injustice, racial history, and what's happening in our country. I think that um, most of you must have heard of the NYU chapter. I'm not going to disclose their name, but if you go to NYU, you have heard of this. Um, As Asian American, I think, especially these people are very ignorant in terms of realizing the difficulties and injustice within our you know, um, legal system and a structural discrimination against Black people, especially. And as Asian American myself, I feel like we definitely have a set of Asian privilege. I'm not saying that it is the same as white privilege. Obviously, we encounter racism and discrimination daily as well, but I think it's very different, um, especially in the structural discrimination sense. Um, I feel like for Asian Americans, we're not really stereotyped as you know an angry Asian I've never heard of that and whenever I get pulled over by the cops unless I'm doing like something illegal I'm not afraid of them you know they're in my opinion their job is to protect us Um, but I'm sure that is a very very different situation with my friends who are black going back to what Sydney was saying earlier we support, obviously, anyone should support asking questions and, and you know. So that being said, and, and going back to both actually what Sarah and Sydney were saying in terms of asking what you have to do and in terms of not not knowing and using this as a time to to continue to push these stereotypes whether subconsciously or intentionally um so going back to what was said earlier about educating yourself is i think it's like really important that everyone like goes into this with like open arms and like they take other people's opinions and they respect what others say in order to take this as like a learning experience rather than judging people based off their sole 
opinions on what they are saying. I also think that like people now have a lot of free time due to quarantine like and they need to take this time like in order to like catch up on the news and learn things that they didn't know before because being educated on what's going around going on around the world and what has happened in the past plays a significant role in like what you think will and in, in what you believe and what you want to happen in the future. I think going back to the specific NYU event that happened that it hits really close to our lives is one thing that just doesn't sit right with me is that they were talking about how um, the injustice or um, the injustice in general comes from Black people being lazy. And I would just want to say that if you educate yourself, if you learn literally any history about America, you would know that it's not because of laziness. It's literally about the disparities of opportunities, pay wage, health care coverage, education system. Everything within our society is at a disadvantage of Black people. And with what happened, uh, the, the screenshots from the frats and in general people's uh, lack of, of shock and outrage at, at what has happened comes from the idea that some people think that you know, it's not affecting them. It's not, they're not in the hot seat right now. So they only can get by doing the bare minimum and kind of what I like to say, quote unquote, hop on the trend because everybody is calling for action right now. But that's what I've seen. That's the complete wrong mindset to take, especially with those screenshots with them saying, oh, it's not our minority group. It's not us that it's happening to. And this is what kind of perpetuates this idea of complacency and people not stepping up when it's needed no matter who or what group is going through injustice currently just to add on to that so like what was happening with the NYU lambdas they basically did say that like why would we help black people if they never helped us and there's something really like wrong with that whole statement within itself like to begin like when they they were what they were referring to the time when like they like Asian Americans were indentured servants and previously black people were enslaved. And when you look back in time, like when did black people ever have the ability to help Asian Americans? And it's not even like you shouldn't turn against other minorities, like, and you shouldn't see yourself as better than someone else based off like the sole color of your skin. And so like now in this time, like this has really like been a long time coming. And I think it's important that people don't just look at some like well, people don't just say like it's not their problem and that they don't need to help them that people like come together and realize that like this is their problem and like they do need to be part of it because like them by by them ignoring it is the same thing as them continuing it and like as a black person who has attended pwis for the majority of their life and that's predominantly white institutions from the time i went to preschool until now in college i usually I'm the only black person in my friend group or in my grade at that matter. And I've always found that I was embarrassed or scared to have these conversations or to call people out for things that they say, like asking me if I can tan or asking me like if they can say the N word in a song and having to be a voice for an entire group of people because that's their only avenue into the eyes of what it's like to be someone ethnic in this country. Not only is it a lot of pressure, it's exhausting because why can't these people use their own 
intuition on their own time to go educate themselves about our history. And it's sad that a lot of institutions, especially high schools in the South, don't teach a lot of Black history. You get maybe two days of slavery, and that's the extent you hear about racial injustice in this country. And it's a problem, and that's why people don't understand what's going on now in this non-isolated event, something that's been happening since 1619, even before that. And when it comes to matters of multiple ethnic groups, I think the fact that we're pitting ourselves against each other and creating a hierarchy with as like ethnicities, whether it's like model minority or Asian versus Black or Black versus Hispanic, I think that we all understand what it's like to be discriminated against because of where we're from or how we sound or what we look like. So I think that there needs to be some solidarity within that, not trying to create a hierarchy of privilege within minority communities. I completely agree. I feel like, especially regarding education, I feel like for, um, especially in my experience, attending an all-girls Catholic high school, like middle school, preschool, kindergarten, for God's sake, uh, slavery and Harriet Tubman and all of those predominant figures that we all know, but we don't really know what they really did because they were only on the one like blue colored page at the very end of the chapter while the rest of the chapter talked about how white people you know claimed the civil war and then the revolutionary war and and then that's all we remember from history but is that really the significant part and i think that that says a lot about what education is sort of molded to be like but going back to the fraternity at nyu i just want to take this opportunity to call out bias on all ends even though i am straying a little from the topic um the I, I'm not going to name any names, but the the man who did expose those group chats or screenshots or whatever of these really awful things being said did sexually assault his girlfriend and he was arrested and put in jail and almost got expelled from the university because of that. And the reason that I'm calling attention to that is not to divert from the actual problem that's going on here, but it's it's to it's to encourage listeners to recognize when people are speaking out for their own reasons, for their own selfish reasons, or because they actually care about the cause and they are an ally. Ally, Excuse me. That being said, Asian American communities and every minority community should speak up for the Black community right now, because if you don't speak up, you're being selective about being anti-racism. And that really shows, you know, are you really anti-racism or are you just not a racist? I think that Sarah did a wonderful job of really summarizing and explaining what I was trying to explain earlier in the whole sense of complacency that are people speaking out because they have ulterior motives or do they actually truly care about what's going on in the world? And all of us hope it's the latter. But here's the thing. There's one thing to claim that you are not in the position, you don't understand what it's like to be targeted. You don't by an institution, you don't understand what it's, or or you never learned. Let's say you never learned and you went to a very small-minded school. You came from a very small-minded small town, but that's not an excuse. Then you learn. Google is free. You put yourself. You get out of your comfort zone and you you learn. You read. You read the news. You figure out how it feels to be in that position because. For the people who say, who use those excuses, but are still trying to be quote unquote activists and are still trying to call attention, that's great. But if you truly don't care about it from the bottom of your heart, 
and you're just trying to do it to be on the trend, that doesn't mean anything to the people who are really struggling right now. So before we change topics or move on to another topic, I want to raise the question or steer the conversation towards what you think we can do to combat this. And speaking again back to the NYU issue, I feel like we should, while we do have training, like when we get admitted for like alcohol abuse and sexual assault, we learn about those things to try and mitigate it as an issue. We should have training on racial bias. So we're forced to look at how we internalize racism and find ways to have productive conversations before we reach the time where we're all students and it becomes a bigger issue like it has now. Speaking of that, I don't know if you guys remember when you took like the alcohol tests, but they're all like online and basically they're all videos that people just like skip through and like no one actually ever like really watches it and pays attention. So it could also be a really like good idea for NYU to have seminars and other things that bring the people together where they inform the people and like being in person does get 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 it more through to the person rather than just like watching a video in front of you that you can fast forward through. I agree. I think that that's a that's a great idea, Sophia, because not only that, I think we need to have more student advocacy groups on campus. I think we need to have um, more students and peers that people can go to and then the group, you know, bring that to administration because I know how scary it can be to uh, go to administration for people um, who have been through that situation. And oftentimes they're not taken seriously. I mean, it's happened time and time and again where the school has lacked or I should say that the school has been slow to react to these kinds of things happening, forcing the people who are victimized in the situation to take further action and go beyond their their abilities to try and get help for themselves. So there needs to be some kind of uh, easier like or more accessible student organization that can provide these resources to their fellow students. And going off of that, I think that like Sophia said, the modules that we're forced to do, not forced, we're required to do when we come into NYU, they are a pain in the butt. And a lot of people kind of skip through them. And like with all the issues of sexual allegation or sexual assault allegations at NYU, it's obvious that people didn't learn anything from them. And every school at NYU has a core education model you have to follow where you do classes like text and ideas and cultures and context. And I really do think there should be a required class on U.S. history for people who are either A, international, or B, went to high schools or were homeschooled and weren't forced to learn about the issues of our history so that they can understand where this pain, where this frustration and anger is stemming from. I completely agree with that. And on top of that, I think NYU does need to do some sort of action to show precedent that saying racist allegations or like whether it's rape or whatever it is to show that they are serious about it and that it is not acceptable and will not be acceptable acceptable as this does like connect to what is going on in the news right now like 94 percent of cops get away with murder and they haven't set precedent like this isn't okay and they haven't changed the institution and so what the problem in the country that institution problem also is reflected within the education systems that we have. That is a perfect segue, I think, into sort of transferring topics a little bit. Um, I really want to, and I think we can all agree when 
we say that uh, the question of exactly what white privilege is, is extremely prevalent, not only in society in general, but especially right now, um, and exactly what that means to a white person, a black person, a person of color, any person, um, and exactly how people should take that. And I think that's super important to discuss. So I think that this is one of the most hotly contested ideas at the moment because there are people on one side of the spectrum who are like this is some made up concept by leftists to try and suppress white people in our country but I think the problem is that a lot of people don't understand what white privilege is they hear the words they're immediately offended but take no time to do research into what it means And from my perspective, at least as like a black American, I see white privilege as not meaning that you will never have hardships in your life if you're white or that things will just be handed to you, but rather that when you do face hardships, they're not because of the color of your skin. Because privilege does show itself in a lot of ways through gender, through economic class, through where you grew up, how you grew up, but white privilege is just saying that as an American in this country, and I guess in Europe too, whatever, but in this country, being white does give you a certain platform that people of minorities don't have. I think that it is very important for my fellow white people to speak out when they know that they have privileges, because a lot of people are just ignorant about that. And since white people won't listen to minorities' voice and think it's all made up, I think it is your responsibility as white people to speak up about your privileges and show that it is wrong to think white privilege doesn't exist. And I would just like to say that, Sydney, I understand that I will never fully understand your experiences, but I'm here to support you in whatever way you want. Oh, shucks. That's so sweet. I think that that's what Claudia just said. That's perfect because I was just going to get to that. Is absolutely like perfect sentiment to, to sum that up because I think privilege to me means like feeling safe doing my daily activities. You know, like something that really stu- stood out to me this with all this happening with people posting was um, that one sentiment that we can go running. We can go like again, like, I don't, I think someone said it earlier in this podcast, when I get pulled over, I'm not scared. I'm just like, okay, this is happening to me. I'm gonna, I expect to get out of it fine, you know, and that's not the same for our other, you know, minority brothers and sisters who have to go through that with fear every day. And I think that's what, that's what privilege is, is just doing your daily activities. And that doesn't, that should be a right that everyone has. But, and I'm never going to understand that, right? But Again, I will do what I can to support the people who go through that. And I think the word white privilege like does trigger people. And like this is the reason for that is due to a lack of education once again, as they don't know the real meaning of it. And they've never actually tried to look at the other side and see like what minorities go through or what black people go through. They've never tried to see like the hardship that people have faced because they've lived their lives and they think that everyone's life is like that. And they've never even tried to like put their like th- like they've never even tried to like experience like even think about what other people experience as like 
their view of life is only like one-sided. Another thing to clarify exactly what white privilege means, because as Sophia just said, like it offends, I feel like so many people. And I feel like uh, upon further education, people wouldn't get so offended by it. And I think it's not only a matter of lack of education or ignorance, which it most certainly is, but I think it's also a matter of uncomfort because white privilege literally means that you actively benefit from the oppression of people of color. People at work look like you. Name me more than one black Disney princess. No one actively seeks or you know, most people don't actively seek to oppress people of color. However, that is what white privilege means. It, it, it means that throughout your life, you know, and, and we were talking about earlier, racism isn't born, it's made. And I think throughout one's entire life, it, white privilege is comfort. And I think that a lot of people don't really understand that. No one's calling anyone evil. And like you said, no one's saying like or reprimanding you because you have white privilege. We're just saying that it's a source of power, which is not a bad thing, but you need to use that power to help lift minority voices. That's what people are trying to ask you to do. And I also like to point out that people who are annoyed by how much activism is happening on Instagram right now, or all the stories they have to see, or that all they see on their feed is things about Black Lives Matter. The fact that you can be annoyed by that and not participate in it and just remove yourself from the situation, that in itself is a form of privilege. If you could ignore what's happening because it's not affecting you, that right there means that you have privilege. Um, I would just like to emphasize on what Sarah said about, um, you know, racism is not, is it, it is a social construct. It is invented by humans. Our daily interactions reinforce the idea of racism every single day. Whether if it's individual discrimination, whether it's um, stereotypes against Black people, whether whether if it's um, media reinforcing young kids, these stereotypes exist and these injustices exist, it is invented by humans and it can be changed. We just have to do our parts. Everyone has to do their parts to change that and kind of blending together you know this whole idea that we've been bouncing this whole podcast this idea of getting out of your comfort zone this idea of that we have to bring about change that rests in our hands and through the power of educating ourselves. I think that's why a lot of people shy away from um, in general shy away from taking on these difficult topics from correcting their family members from correcting their friends Um, when they say problematic things like that, because they don't want to be put in this uncomfortable position. Um, And that's, that's an idea that we have to get out of, because if, if we do want change, that's not going to come from, come from a comfort zone. In regards to social media, as Sydney was saying, I think it's great, like how much I've seen on social media, like people posting and people like making others aware of it. But uh, once again, like that's not all you need to do. Like you can't do one post and be done. And I think it's important that you find like what's best for you in order to help people, whether that's like donations or whether that's talking about it with friends and family, whether that's like bringing awareness to others, like talking about it on social media, on platforms, or whether that's going to protests, you need to find what's best for you and educate yourself and others in order to like have this institutional change because you just doing one post on Instagram won't do anything in the long term. For those of you who self-identify as white, because I know that like it can be a uh, 
passing type of thing also. Like when people tell you that you have white privilege and I'm not trying to like single you out, but I'm trying to say like, how does that make you feel? Do you feel hurt by it? Like, it's okay too. But just trying to open that conversation up. Like how does it make you feel when people tell you that you have privileges? Um, so for me, I don't really like choose to identify like as white or Hispanic, but like people will identify me as one or the other. And it actually does like depend on people's like race, how they do or ethnicity, how they do define me and how the way they see me. When like I think about white privilege, it doesn't make me upset. I just think it's something that is true and something that like has always been there. And I just like never really like realized it until like I started growing up and like becoming like an adult. But at the same time, like other people view me differently and I have experienced like discrimination on the other end. And like it's just the way people see you and like they make like these constructs of you and like just from their, your outer appearance and automatically assume like you're one thing or another. White, pri- I, I'm a firm believer that white privilege specifically, not ju- I'm not just talking about like that little past the joke, like oh, haha, white people things, but like you know on Twitter like that sort of thing. I'm more talking about like acknowledging your privilege and accepting it and realizing that it exists. That should make you uncomfortable. If you feel comfortable with your privilege, you're not doing it right. And I'm a firm believer in that. That might be a hot take. I don't know. But like, I feel like the best way to firmly be active, and I mean this by not just hiding behind your Instagram and by truly supporting, you know, justice in especially in the sense about what's going on right now. You should be uncomfortable with the privilege that you have. Not only be uncomfortable with it, but use it to actively make a change. Um, I don't know if this is super relevant, but um, obviously we're talking about a very serious issue right now, but I would just want to jump on to another end of, I guess, um, racism is when any other features that come from minorities are not attractive. I would just want to comment on that because I remember when I was younger, um, whenever people like asked me, oh, like, are you half? Like, do you have like some white in you? I would as younger me, I would be like, oh, I'm super, you know, flatter. I was like, oh, so they think that I'm pretty, you know, but now as I grow up, um, when people ask me that, or like, whenever people ask me, uh, are you like half, like, are you mixed? Like, I would just get really <laughs> uncomfortable almost because it's almost like saying, oh, because you're pretty because you have some white in you if that makes sense. I don't know if anyone relates to that. Yeah. Like, I would never forget, like, as I said, like, I went to a predominantly white high school, and I'll never forget that, like, I was in love, well, I'm always in love with a boy. I was in love with a boy, like, my seventh grade year, which is my first year at my high school, and he told one of my friends that, like, he thought I was cute, and he would date me if I wasn't Black, and I will never forget that that was one of the happiest moments of my life. And, I'd, like, thinking back mm-hmm. on it, it feels... It's saddening that part of me was like, oh, wow, if I was white, like, I'd have this, I'd have that. And, like, I've realized that subconsciously I've internalized so much self-hatred because I've always wanted to be, like, people around me. It's why I straighten my hair all the time. And, like, I dress a certain way with a certain type of music. And, like, I really internalized that. And, like, these past few days I've been thinking about how much it has come from trying to appease or look like or fit into people around me instead of trying to be like uniquely who I am and in my culture and stuff like that. Just in response 
to Claudia bringing that up, you know, the idea of beauty kind of being connected to this idea of white privilege, because that is, whether we like to admit it or not, the standard of beauty in this country. Um, and I remember one of my earliest memories is on my mom's side, you know, I do have mixed family members and I would look at them and think they are so much prettier, like so much better looking than me. They're going to get so much further in life because they have, um, I mean, as an Indian, I have pretty light skin compared to other Indians. And that's a very big thing. And that I think that comes about from the whole idea Claudia was saying is because the standard of beauty is very aligned to kind of this like being white, looking like a blonde hair white person right and I'm not calling anyone out but um that's I I would wish that I was more mixed instead of having two parents that were mostly Indian I was just gonna say like back on to like how whiteness is considered like superior like the more like white you look like the more like you will get privilege and in regards to that like that isn't everything like people of like all my like races all colors will try to change themselves to be more white they will change their hair like sydney was saying like they will change everything they can about themselves their style the way they talk the way they act their what they like to do in order to try to fit into society as they've never felt like they can fit in and that is the huge problem with the system that they can't accept people for like how they want to be and they want everyone to go into this little box that they have created and they want people to change themselves to appease this certain little minority of people that like everyone to act a certain way. Um, that just reminded me of, you know, the current issues about blackfishing, where, you know, most celebrities, mostly the Kardashians, would um, make some makes themselves appear to be more ethnic, mostly more black with, you know, tanning and whatever. And I think that they are not considering that these features were made fun of and like you can admire them right now but at the end of the day black people cannot choose to take you know a fake tan off or like take these features off and I think white people really need to think about that yeah with the Kardashians like the whole thing is like they date black men they have black children they darken their skin and then they do things like getting cornrows and going oh my god I just minted box braids and things like that and like in the past like wearing big hoops and having a big butt and having big boobs were seen as like stereotypes of black women like over sexualizing them but when they do it it's a trend everyone's big butts now everyone's butt injection stuff like that and then also talking about like what Sophia said about like appeasing yourself to try and fit this model one thing that's always really bothered me is like when I've met like uh white teachers or like my white friends parents they would always say, wow, you are so articulate. Because to them, me being able to speak proper English and not use Ebonics or have like vernacular language to them was astonishing that I could comprehend a sentence. And like, as I was younger, I always thought, wow, it's a compliment. Like they think I'm smart, think I'm articulate. But then I realized they never call my white friends articulate or say, well, they can speak really well. It's always something that's been aimed towards me. And like as I've gone older, I realized the problem with that and that I shouldn't be um, like degraded or seen as less educated because I speak in black vernacular or I use Ebonics or I use slang. Like my, the way that I speak shouldn't be a marker of my 
education or where I come from, et cetera. When did you realize that, if you don't mind me asking, like when did you sort of go into that train of thought? It wasn't until this year, actually, when my ex-boyfriend was saying that he had a conversation with his father, where his father was talking about, I think, Cory Booker or someone like that. And he was like, wow, that man is really articulate. And the ex was like, that's an odd thing to say. Like, you don't see white politicians and you don't go, wow, they're very articulate because that's expected of them. But when it comes to black people, you're like, wow, they speak very, very well. Like, you wouldn't expect that of them because they are black. So that's when I started to realize, like, wow. And I didn't realize how many times people have said that to me or said it about me. So I always thought, wow, that's a compliment. But now that I've seen that perspective, I've noticed how often people say it. And it kind of bothers me. I feel like people now are saying, oh, racism doesn't exist now. Like, everyone, like, you know, live peacefully. But, like, racism still exists just in a different form. It's not the old, you know, fashioned way racism where um, it come from the slave period. But right now it's more of the stereotypes that still exist, still ingrained in people's minds. And the institutional injustice that happens to people we've been talking a lot about like trends and how you know you you change your appearance and you change yourself and your hair to fit in with trends and unfortunately I don't know if you guys agree or not but I'm seeing that whole attitude with posting on social media for all of this as well people doing it for their own motives people doing it to sh- for, for um as a performance people trying to just post the donation grids or post you know like quirky tweets that they found about this topic on their stories just for people to see it and just for people to to understand that they're you know taking action when they don't actually mean anything yeah, performative activism has been driving me crazy, especially this last week, because so many people I know, especially from my hometown, that I know say the N-word, that I know make jokes about Black people, like whatever, whatever, I realized that because it's a trend now and because if you don't do it, you're seen as racist, they'll repost some random post onto their story, add no commentary to it, and they're like, hands off, like I've done my part. But reposting something on your story is doing absolutely nothing to, one, continue the conversation, two, educate yourself, and three, actually make a difference. Because if you're too busy critiquing how people are protesting or how they're reacting or how they're feeling, but doing nothing to help the issue at the core of what's happening, then you're doing nothing to help anyone. You're just critiquing and sitting on your high place of privilege. As, and Cindy can attest to this because we're both in the same major, but as a media culture and communications major, um, we both have a lot to say on this topic. Um, But I think the best way to sum this passivity up is to be extremely conscious. And this is, I think, what social media in a way trains it. Bless you. I think what social media in a way trains us to do is to be passive behind our screens. And the best example I can think of, honestly, and this is sort of obscure, but I think it is a really good example, is the movie WALL-E. I don't know if everyone here has watched it. 
I if you ladies it. have seen it, but it's a really popular Disney movie for those who haven't seen it about like the earth and the sort of like post apocalyptic world where everything is garbage and the humans on earth can't live on planet earth anymore. So they take this huge spaceship to space and they obviously the message behind the movie is to recycle, reuse, you know, take care of the planet. Mother nature is our best friend. And uh, I'm, I love Disney. I really do. But I went to that movie. I loved it. I saw it. And I thought I was doing something by like being in the audience. Being in the audience and watching that movie made me feel like I just put a plastic water bottle in the recycling bin. I know that sounds super small and trivial, especially compared to the issue at hand. But that's the same thing that social media ingrains in us. Like by pressing our phone with our fingers we think that we're doing something huge by going to the movie and paying for a ticket and sitting down watching a screen. We think that we're doing something huge. And then we go home and we do shit. So it's the exact same thing, except with obviously a much more pressing issue. Repost about it all you want on your story. It's not a bad thing to do it. I do it. We Every, every single woman here talking has done it. The difference is whether we actually do donate, sign petitions, protest, indulge in active conversations, provide a listening ear to our friends. That's what's important here. And I think that that can sometimes get lost behind our Instagram stories. Right. And um, so another thing behind the, all of the all of the performative, you know, actions, posting on your Instagram stories. Well, two things. And, and actually, first, I want to bring this point up because Sarah just touched on it, the donating. Um, to all of you who have donated and signed petitions, Thank you. Please keep doing that. But then there are people who act like they deserve a gold medal because they donated once or, tw- or or whatever, you know, and they post it on their stories and they're like, okay, done. I did my part. Hands off. Um, no, that is still performative. That is still you wanting attention for being a quote unquote activist. And then there are those Instagram tag chains or whatever the challenges that people have created out of someone's death essentially that's what it comes down to that that people are starting to tag their friends um and say that black lives matter and create create it into an instagram challenges apps it's pretty disturbing honestly and i would just like to say that we do have a link on our instagram listing a bunch of petitions for different cases and organizations that you can make donations to so if you are looking for more ways to help Thank you again for people who have helped in this movement and please keep doing so. Yeah. I also think like other steps you can take, you can talk to your governor, you can talk to people in power who are really important. Um, One of my teachers freshman year used to say um, that if you think that like a teacher is doing you wrong, or if you think that someone is like and unfairly grading your tests, like get your parents involved because they're the one with the power. They have the right to say, why are we paying 80, why are we paying 80 grand a year for a school that, you know, my child isn't benefiting from. And I think it's the same thing. We have to, you know, talk to the people in power in order to actually make a change. So that's really important too. And I feel like not a lot of people are talking about that. So I just wanted to put that out there. So to wrap up today's episode and conversation, we want to challenge those who are listening to do more. Do more than turn a blind eye. Do more than just post a picture or a hashtag. But start and participate in constructive conversations. Educate yourself on these issues. Donate. Sign petitions. 
Listen to the grievances of others. Vote. Protest. Make your voice heard. Have these difficult conversations with friends, family, loved ones, but simply do more. No longer can we people sit passively on the sidelines and allow others to face injustice because we may or may not think that these issues affect us, but they do. So we ask you to look introspectively and ask yourself, what am I doing to help eradicate these issues at the core of what is happening? So this is what we challenge you to do. Thank you for tuning in and listening and check back next week for new episodes. Bye. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.